Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the Pulp.net, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines, since 1996, online at thepulp.net. This Pulp Event Podcast features Rick Way, Pulp historian and chronologist, discussing the 75th anniversary of the Pulp character, The Avenger. The talk was recorded on August 7, 2014, at Pulp Fest 2014 in Columbus, Ohio. Originally, I wasn't supposed to do this presentation. This was going to be Will Murray, but for whatever reason, Will couldn't make it, though his research was invaluable to me in, in preparing this. But uh, just as I am sort of the reluctant uh, presenter, as you will see as we go through the history of the Avenger, I became the reluctant chronologist for him. <laughs> officially, totally out of the blue. Okay. Now, the Avenger grew as a combination of uh, two pulp heroes, Doc Savage and the Shadow. Street and Smith uh, decided to combine the two characters or concepts characteristics of the, the two heroes into a new character called the Avenger. That decision happened around either late 1938 or early 1939. The man who dreamed it up was Henry W. Ralston, who at that time was vice, uh, the vice president at Street and Smith. He had been the business manager in the early 30s when uh, the characters were first conceived. Now, they had then a, a conference of three writers. The man on, on the right is Lester Dent, who, uh, as Kenneth Robeson, was writing Doc Savage primarily, even though there were other writers who were involved with Doc Savage. He was the original writer and the uh, primary author of the series. The gentleman on the left is Walter Gibson, who, uh, of course, was the author of the Shadow novels. And in the middle you see Paul Ernst, who had uh, done work as a horror writer for Weird Tales and had also written some detective stories. And he came up with the character of the Avenger, fleshed him out. And for those of you who don't know the Avenger, I'm just going to briefly summarize what the character is, and then, and then we're going to trace all the influences on him. The Avenger is a man named Richard Henry Benson. Now, he is in his 30s when the uh, novels begin. He is married with a young daughter. He had lived an incredibly adventurous life and had traveled all over the world. Somehow, he has abilities akin to Doc Savage, but we never learn how. He is the most greatest Renaissance man since Leonardo da Vinci, or Clark Savage Jr. And he decides to take an airplane flight because uh, his wife's mother, I think, is either, I think she's extremely ill. That was the explanation. And she lived in Canada, he was in the United States. 
and on the flight he decides to go to the bathroom. It's to wash his hands because you couldn't say why people went to the bathroom for the real reasons in those days. <laughs> and when he comes out, his wife and daughter have disappeared and everybody claims they were never on the plane. Now we later discover they've been murdered. But this whole shock of this happening to him causes his hair to turn white and his facial muscles to be paralyzed. And this flies in the face of science, but supposedly if your facial muscles become paralyzed, you are suddenly like plastic man and can shape your face into anything possible. So he now has the ability to become a super master of disguise. And he then uses his vest, well, he, he sets himself up in a, uh, pu publicly as a crime fighter in an organization called Justice Incorporated. Now, Ernst's background in detective fiction uh, influences characteristics of the adventure. There was an excellent uh, collection by Altus Press called CK and Other Prototypes of the Avenger by Paul Ernst, and there's an excellent introduction by Will Murray. And it mentions several characters, but we'll, for, for the, we'll later allude to the, some of them elsewhere in the presentation. But uh, the one we're going to concentrate right now is a character called the Wraith. And the Wraith was created in 1936 for uh, Detective Tales. And he was a one-shot character, even though he had this incredible potential to go on for his whole series of adventures. And the Wraith is a man named Perry Westbrook, who um, is in a train accident. And his face gets messed up. And essentially, he has the same face that Two-Face has in the Batman comics. Half of it's very pleasant, and half of it's mean and ugly and twisted downward at the end. But he also gets this, this facial paralysis that the Avenger, or, or Benson, would later get. And he discovers that he can mold his face. So what he decides to do is he's going to make the happy both sides match the happy, pleasant-faced when he's Perry Westbrook, and when he's the race, he'll make it mean and ugly. Now, the other things that uh, pop up, uh, the Avenger will have two special weapons. They'll have a gun named Mike, which is a 22 caliber pistol with a very thin barrel, that if you, which you would shoot and knock out guys by creasing their skulls. And he also has a knife called Ike. And he would strap these to his ankles. You see the forerunner of both weapons in the Wraith. The Wraith has a pipe-like gun that he straps to his knee. And he doesn't care about not taking life. He'll kill crooks in any way he wants. And it, he's got, it's, it's button operated, so it's under his pants, 
So if he's sitting like this towards the crook and taps his knee, he's just shot him in the heart. <laughs> and then he just had a simple throwing knife. Now, the one of the more uh, the other sort of famous character that uh, Ernest created just to get his pope credentials out of the way when he was writing for Weird Tales, he got drafted to write a character that. Uh, the editor Farnsworth Wright was very enthusiastic about, but it really didn't uh, catch on, called Dr. Satan, who was this incredible master criminal who used black magic to commit crimes. He really doesn't influence the Avenger, but you see some of the, in some of the villains, like in the Black Death and in the novels like the Black Death and the Blood Ring, where they pretend to do supernatural crimes, the sort of like the descendants of Dr. Satan except they're phony magicians. Now the name Richard Henry Benson was uh, largely inspired by uh, Henry W. Ralston, and it comes from Richard Henry Savage, who was a, uh, an engineer, an author, something of an explorer who lived in the, eight, in the late uh, 19th century, died in 1903 in a rather tragic uh, traffic accident. A horseless carriage ran him down where he was crossing the street. And uh, Rawston had known him and the name Doc Savage came from the savage part so the uh, Richard Henry came from the first part of his name. Now this decision to combine elements of adventure of, of uh, Doc Savage and the Shadow had actually been done before by a competitor. And that was the character, that was Secret Agent X was the character who was created who uh, was published between 1934 and 1939. And as we will see, the Avenger is basically Doc Savage. It's even published under the name Kenneth Robeson, which was Lester Dent's alias, with some elements of the shadow. And they don't use as much of the shadow as you thought they should or maybe they could have, I, might be a better way to phrase it. And that reason, I think, happened because of Secret Agent X. Secret Agent X is, was a copy of The Shadow with a lot of little characteristics of Doc Savage. Secret Agent X operated as a vigilante. He, like, like The Shadow, he's a World War I spy. Like the shadow, he's a master of disguise, master of makeup. He's got agents positioned in different parts of society. He's got established cover identities. That's the shadow part. The Avenger part is, let's throw in a, uh, a commitment not to take human life. Let's throw in uh, non-lethal weaponry, uh, sleep gas devices and things. So you then have a, a combination of the two 
uh, to the two Street and Smith heroes, but the emphasis is more on the shadow. So if you're going to do that again, you've got to go the other way. Now, when I was looking at this, I was looking at the timing of these decisions to, to create the Avenger. The Avenger, uh, Paul Ernst submits the first manuscript, ironically, in February 1939, which is when the last issue of Secret Agent X, dated March 1939, hits the newsstand, which is an intriguing irony. And I don't know, I, I was wondering, was Ralston, had Ralston heard that this magazine was dying out? And maybe he said, you know, right, our competitors have successfully combined the two characters. Let's do it now. And now that they no longer have a combination character, let's make one of our own. Certainly, Secret Agent X influenced it, whether, whether they knew that he was being uh, terminated and that affected the creation of the Avenger, I have no idea. Now, the concept of the rubber face actually originated in 1910 in a popular detective called Clique of the Forty Faces who was created by Thomas Hanshew. And uh, Cleek was a Scotland Yard, or Cleek, Cleek, let me correct it. Cleek was a burglar in London, England, sort of a Raffles type, who decides to reform and join Scotland Yard. Now, he has this incredible rubber-like face that he was born with. By today's standards, he would be a superhero mutant. Now, the explanation for how he gets this ability makes no sense. We didn't have radiation, or at least, well, actually, we probably did have radiation. Madame Curie was experimenting. They weren't smart enough to, Thomas Hanshaw wasn't smart enough to come up with radiation as with the, the explanation. He just said uh, Cleek's mother was playing around with a rubber doll when she was pregnant. <laughs> so somehow you get mutant children who can, twist their faces in anything possible. Now, you, you may see wonder, what does Leslie Charteris' The Saint have to do with the Avenger? Now, if, if you're my age, I was born in 1955, you know The Saint from Roger Moore in the 60s, and he travels around the world, and he's a cosmopolitan adventurer. But the saint goes back to, the saint went through different phases. What you saw, if you saw the Roger Moore TV series, you saw the post-World War II version of the saint. The pre-World War I version is very different. The saint was created in 1928 by Leslie Charteris. And the, uh, the original version was more like the spider. He was a, the saint was a vigilante who killed crooks. Instead of marking them with a, sp a red spider, he left a little sheet of paper with a stick figure and a halo or wrote it on the wall or something. And he had his, his favorite weapon, which you never saw on the TV show, were two throwing knives called Anna and Bell that he strapped to his wrists, though there were occasions where he wore them on his ankle. 
Now, even though we saw the Avengers weaponry foreshadowed in Ernst's own detective, the Wraith, the, the knife idea and having these hidden uh, sheaths or holsters may have come from the saint originally. Now, the concept of vengeance was important in creating the Avenger, and nearly every pulp hero somehow dates back to Alexander Dumas, the Count of Monte Cristo, a man who... Uh, creates a new identity after he's unjustly imprisoned. But uh, Walter Gibson, when he was asked how much did he influence the Avenger, he said, originally I didn't think that there was too much of uh, the shadow in the Avenger, but uh, Gibson then said, I wrote this novel called Vengeance is Mine, which was published in 1937. <coughs> which is about a man who has, uh, who's victimized by criminals and decides to get back. But unlike the Avenger, he doesn't uh, draw the line at taking human life and eventually becomes a, as bad as a criminal himself and the shadow has to take him out. And uh, Gibson believes that that influenced Ralston now, Ernst had created another character, which is in the CK collection that I mentioned earlier, who was another one-shot character who could have had a pulp series of his own, called Old Stoneface. He was um, in a story called uh, I Am Their Executioner. And Old Stoneface it was written around, I think, 37. Old Stoneface is an FBI agent whose, whose wife gets killed and he becomes very vicious and vindictive towards criminals. But since then, he's an FBI agent, he can kill them pretty much and not get any trouble with the police. So then we have all the ingredients for Justice Incorporated. And here we have both the uh, cover by H. Winfield Scott and my favorite interior illustration of the Avenger. Now, one thing about the Avenger, the way he dressed in the pulps, he just wore gray suits. So he would wear a gray shirt, a gray tie, a gray jacket, maybe a gray vest, gray pants. As we're going to later see, we have a different currently artistic conception of, of the Avenger. The... Um, gray aspect of the Avenger is foreshadowed by another character that Ernst had created around 37 called Tom Dixon, who is in a story called A Case for the Gray Marauder, but uh, I was at least uh, I, browsing through it, and I don't think he's ever called the Gray Marauder in the story, but uh, he has a... Uh, another identity where he fights crime, and he always dresses in gray. In the first novel, the Avenger picks up two aides, Fergus McMurdy, who's a pharmacist and chemist, whose uh, wife and child were killed by criminals, so his history somewhat mimics the Avenger. And then we have Smitty, 
who is a brilliant engineer. His full name is Algernon Heathcott Smith. And um, he's, uh, besides being a brilliant technician, he is huge physically and can beat the heck out of like three different guys at once. Now, he has a little interesting history because he really wasn't supposed to be Caucasian. The original Smitty was the, based on the character you see in the right, who's uh, Jericho Droop, who was in the shadow and uh, was primarily the brawn of the shadow's agents. But if you read this novels carefully, he was actually a pretty smart guy who uh, could go under, went on some very difficult undercover missions for the shadow, but that seemed to get lost in the novels. So it looked like Smitty, and we see this in the interior art of the early Avenger novels, was originally supposed to be black. And for, for some reasons that are unknown at the last minute, they said, we're not going to go that way. Maybe they thought it would be too similar to Jericho or whatever. Now, in the second novel, The Yellow Horde, the Avenger gets, even though, even though he's, he's wealthy and has made money several times over, crime fighting is expensive. So in order to fund all these operations that he's doing, they have him discover a hidden cage, cache of uh, Aztec gold in Mexico. That idea may have come from H. Ryder Haggard's 1893 novel, Montezuma's Daughter, which is about an Englishman during the conquest, who goes to Mexico during the conquest by Cortez, and actually sees the Aztecs hide their gold in a hidden underground tomb. And you could speculate if you're like many of the Wad Newton universe people such as myself that what you're actually seeing is what the Avenger found in that novel. Now Haggard, the, the, the whole concept of gold and uh, hidden gold by Indian tribes goes back to Doc Savage. We had the Mayan civilization, but the Mayan civilization also dates back to H. Ryder Haggard. He wrote a novel called The Heart of the World in 1895, which had a city of gold and Guatemala, which was one of the influences on the uh, fictional country of Hidalgo and Doc Savage. Now, ironically, we've seen that Smitty was originally supposed to be African-American, and he becomes Caucasian. In a strange way, in the Yellow Horde, when we get the Avengers female aide, Nellie Gray, she was originally African-American. That's little known. But that's because of where the name was derived from. Nellie Gray was a popular song that was written in 1856 by a man named B.H. Hanby. And it's sung by an Afri a slave in the United States whose wife, Nellie Gray, has been uh, taken away from him and sold to, to another slave owner. 
So they, they got, that's where they got the Nellie Gray name from. So after having two characters who at least in some way were originally supposed to be African-American, the Paul Ernst finally gets apparently permission to do a true African-American group of characters who were both a man and a woman. And that's Roosevelt and Josh Newton who appear in the third novel and are two of the most innovative characters for the time in the pulps. They are graduates of Tuskegee uh, University and uh, their role for the Avenger will be that they will often uh, get jobs as servants in uh, Caucasian households and they would, they would act the way whites expect black people to act which unfortunately at the time was be, to be superstitious and not too bright. So this can be an intriguing commentary on racial affairs, but there's a little problem unfortunately. The novel which they appeared in was the uh, Skywalker, which uh, they joined because the, uh, employers, their employer got murdered by criminals. The next novel was The Devil's Horn and the, the, the Devil's Horns. And in that novel, they meet a black servant who is the racial stereotype. So it, was in, it, it looked like early on, Street and Smith was sort of having it both ways. They were defying racial stereotypes, but catering to them at the same time. But after the Devil's Horns, that never happened again. So the presentation of the Newtons was exemplary from the, their, that point onward, or, or I should say African-Americans overall were presented well in the Avenger. Now, the Avenger apparently wasn't selling as well as Street and Smith liked. So they decided to make do two radical things in the Avenger in about around the 10th issue or so. And the first thing was the Avenger was going to get cured. He gets trapped in some chamber in an automobile factory and gets exposed to some weird sort of radiation and he, his, hair, his white hair becomes black again and he brings up his facial mu muscles get restored. Now the photo on the left or the interior drawing on the left is not uh, Richard Henry Benson, that's Cole Wilson who is the man who cures the Avenger and now becomes one of his assistants. And Cole Wilson was sort of a young, energetic, uh, heroic type who was almost a rival to the Avenger and that will later affect the paperback presentation of the Avenger, as we will see. Now, the Avenger then, of course, is presented differently in pulp covers. He now has dark hair, starting with uh, three gold crowns. But there was a little problem in uh, this, caused by this decision to change the Avenger. What frequently happened at Street and Smith, when they want to do something radically different, they juggle the novels. 
they say, let's push it up a little bit to increase sales. So there were three novels lurking in the archives where the Avengers still had white hair and the frozen facial muscles. So what they had to do was re-edit the novels to give him black hair, had to have him use makeup to disguise himself. And uh, Cole Wilson gets like a little explanation that he's off in Detroit uh, conferring with the government or something. So, we, so there's an explanation why he's, he's not in the novel. A similar thing happened in Doc Savage when they introduced the, chimp, the, uh, well, the ape chemistry. So we suddenly learned later, oh, he was in quarantine for all those months that you didn't see him. And the, 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 the novel, the, 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 uh, the, the three novels on the earlier slide, it's, it's uh, House of Death, Nevlo, and Death in Slow Motion. Those were the ones that were all editorially changed. Now, the Avenger lasted for about 24 issues and uh, ended in 1942. Some say it's due to the, the sales weren't as good as Street and Smith wanted. There was also talk that the paper shortage may have uh, influenced the decision there. So, but they still tried to play around with the character by having it appear in Clues magazine. But this time, uh, Kenneth Robeson became Emil C. Tepperman. Paul Ernst was out of the picture. Emil C. Tepperman was, uh, had written uh, Secret Agent X. He had done some spiders. He did a series about uh, Suicide Squad and was known for pretty violent uh, pulp novels. And when he started to do the short stories, he tried to remain at least faithful to the original concept of the Avenger as being a guy who used uh, sleep gas or whatever to knock out criminals, wouldn't kill people. And the first two stories that he wrote, Death to the Avenger and A Coffin for the Avenger, uh, this are consistent, at least, with the original Ernst novels to that degree. You may think, stylistically, they're inferior. I kind of like the coffin for the Avenger, just for the record, and I'm sort of in the minority for that. But then a radical decision happened with the third story, A Vengeance, for the, uh, a Vengeance on the Avenger, and I show here the uh, cover when it was reprinted in Robert Weinberg's fanzine Pulp. That's a Frank Hamilton drawing of the Avenger and Smitty. And in Vengeance uh, on the Avenger, suddenly we see the Avenger killing people. And this isn't explicitly explained, but if you read it, you kind of have a hidden explanation. The whole story is about a man who Richard Henry Benson knew in South Africa years ago had a chance to kill, didn't kill, and now he's coming back for vengeance and has captured all the Avengers' assistants and has really, has really caused Benson to become upset. So it's sort of like 
He regrets not killing the guy, so he decides now he's going to kill criminals from now on. And that was reflected in the um, latest stories, but it looked like Tepperman was polishing off short stories that got uh, rejected or, or the magazine folded before they were printed and would rewrite them as adventure stories. Because one of the, the stories is called Cargo of Doom, which has this, the Avenger battling Nazi spies before Pearl Harbor. And the second Avenger story, a coffin for the Avenger, had the Avenger battling Nazi spies after Pearl Harbor. So you have this anomaly of one story where he's not killing people after Pearl Harbor and a story where he is killing people before Pearl Harbor. So if you ever wanted to reconcile this, you've got to say that he eventually sometime after Pearl Harbor decided he's, not go he's going to go back to not killing people. Now, the, the Tepperman shorts lasted for a few while, and, and uh, there were about six of them, I think, and then uh, the, the character uh, essentially vanished from the pulps. But he would get revived in um, paperback in the 1970s. And what was most important about the, it was that Warner Paperback Library published it. And the reprints of the novels, what is important is the artistic representation of the Avenger. He now gets a uniform. Looks sort of like a chauffeur's uniform. Or a little like Cato on the Green Hornet is what it always reminded me of. But that has become the standard artistic depiction of the Avenger from here on out. When they ran out of uh, the, uh, when, when they published the first 24 novels, they decided not to reprint the shorts in the paperbacks. And they hired a new writer, Ron Goulard, to write New Adventures. And he wrote uh, 12 in all starting with the man from Atlantis. But he, and his Avenger novels aren't really true to the spirit of the pulps. They kind of read like TV shows from the 60s and 70s. In fact, if you, could, if you took an epic, it was like if you took some, the man from Uncle, made Justice Incorporated Uncle, made thrush Nazi spies, you would have pretty much your typical adventure novel by Ron Goulart. So you see a lot of things from TV in, in, in Ron's stuff. But he did introduce some interesting little in-jokes and innovations. For instance, one of the novels is called The Purple Zombie, which is set in um, Hollywood. And besides having a cameo by Lamont Cranston, who's whether this is the real Lamont Cranston or the shadow impersonating Lamont Cranston is never explained. And also having a uh, 
crazed science fiction fan named F.J. Ackleroyd, <laughs> who's Forrest J. Ackerman under another name. The, the, the Purple Zombie is a movie that uh, is being made by the studio, and it's derived from a comic strip done by Tarp Mills, the creator of Miss Fury, the Purple Zombie, even, even though it, they never allude to that. I didn't find this out until many years later. I just thought they called it the Purple Zombie because that was a cool name of its own creation. But the, uh, another thing that uh, Goulart did that was kind of funny was he was going to the pre pre uh, predecessor to Pulp Fest, Pulp Con, and meeting all these pulp collectors. So we decided to include characters with the names of noted pulp collectors or authorities in the stories. So uh, Bob Weinberg, who is an author in his own rights, ends up as a chief of police in a novel called Red Moon. In a novel called uh, Black Chariots, Nick Carr, who's probably the greatest expert on Operator 5 and uh, G8, ends up uh, lending a car to somebody who gets killed by a flying saucer. And perhaps the most shocking revelation of all involved Don Hutchinson in The Iron Skull. If we believe this novel, Don was a Nazi spy during, in 1944. Maybe he was really undercover since he's still around. Working, working for Allied Intelligence, that's my theory. But the, the Iron Skull was Goulard's attempt to create a, a nemesis, a recurring enemy for the Avenger, because we hadn't had any uh, villains who really came back. Tepperman in some of his shorts had some bad guy who would pop up and say that the Avenger had fought him before, but that was like the only time you were seeing him in the story. And uh, the Iron Skull was sort of a cyborg villain. He, the, the novel uh, involving him was published in 1975. That's two years after the Six Million Dollar Man appeared on television. And he's a little like the Six Million Dollar Man in that he has a robotic arm and it's, it's more robotic than bionic. If you remember how the Six Million Dollar Man is set up and, and a leg. So he has, he's part metal and part flesh. Part of his face is uh, metal. And even though the Six Million Dollar Man may, may have been the logical inspiration for this, there's another... Uh, character from television who origins actually go back to the Pulps, who sort of was the forerunner of the Iron Skull. Now, there was a writer named Steve Fisher who uh, created many pulp heroes, created some aviation pulp heroes. Uh, he also created a character named Sheridan Doom, who was the backup feature for The Shadow in the 1930s. And Sheridan Doom was a uh, naval officer in the U.S. Uh, military who's in an explosion, gets his face totally disfigured, but uh, they don't put any metal in it or whatever, but he, 
his chest is severely damaged, so he gets these metal plates which up, make him almost impervious to bullets. And there was a show in, that began in 1965 called The Wild Wild West. And in January 1966, they aired an episode called The Night of the Steel Assassin. And the Steel Assassin is a character named Torres. And the, it, there were two writers involved. Fisher wrote the, uh, uh, an outline, and then they gave it to another writer named Calvin Clements to expand upon. And Torres was sort of Sheridan Doom gone evil. He's a, an American officer who gets blown up. Through his own genius, he somehow gets, he, he, he supervises an operation where his flesh gets merged with metal. And he's this somewhat half robotic, half human villain. And I think that was probably where Ron Gulick got most of the Iron Skull from. Now, the series got canceled, and we had some loose ends. First of all, the Iron Skull's still running around. Second, there was a novel called The Glass Man, where the Avenger fought an invisible man, and there was a, a Nazi spy named Werner Conrad, who was sort of an evil master of disguise, sort of a German version of Lon Chaney Sr., who's now works for Hitler as a spy. He's also still at large, never got brought to justice. And at the end of the last novel, Demon Island, there, what Goulart liked to do was insert um, a, uh, a little opening for the next novel in each novel as it ended, sort of what they used to do in Doc Savage and The Shadow. And he suddenly has the Avenger receive word that his children, that his wife and child are alive somewhere. And it gradually leaked out that there were going to be robots created by the Iron Skull. Well, we did, we, as you will see, we will eventually get one of these loose ends resolved. Two will still remain unresolved. Now, when the, uh, in, in the interim, when there are no new Avengers stories getting written, we get some parodies of the Avenger by Philip Jose Farmer. And um, one of these is in a series called Great Heart Sil Silver, which uh, began in 1975. And the story is called Great Heart Silver in the Shootout, uh, or Showdown and Shootout is, is the title. And uh, in that story, there are parodies of every pulp hero from the 1930s, and they go to this town in the West, and they end up killing each other, and they, they're mainly fighting Herr Dr. Kluger from G8. But you have um, a character who's supposed to be the Avenger, and he's called the Punisher. Now, in case you're wondering if that had any connection to the Marvel character, the, the Punisher had appeared two years, the story was published in 1935. 1973 is when the Punisher appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man, but he was just a supporting character then. He didn't get his own magazine until years later. So Farmer was probably un totally unaware that there was a Marvel character with that name. Uh, 
The other uh, story that uh, Philip Jose Farmer did that was a parody of the Avenger was a story called Savage Shadow, which is a, a story in which Kenneth Robeson is not Lester Dent, is not Paul Ernst, but it's Kenneth Robeson. The story pretends that there really was a writer named Kenneth Robeson who used his real name and wrote all these novels. And in uh, Savage Shadows, which you can uh, find in the uh, farmer collection Pearl from, Pearls from Peoria, the uh, Ro Robeson meets real life people who he bases supposedly the shadow and the Avenger on. So Doc Savage, I mean, uh, excuse me, Doc Savage and the shadow, and, and Doc Savage and the Avenger on. And Doc Savage is supposedly based on a drunken veterinarian. And uh, the Avenger is based on uh, some crazy mafia guy who's called the Vindictive One or the Avengeful or something whose family gets wiped out by rival gangsters and is out to kill all the other mafia guys. Now, Lynn Carter in the 70s began a series called Prince Zargon, which was sort of a, uh, a variation on Doc Savage, a Doc Savage-like hero. And he would have various pulp, even though the stories were set in, in the 70s, uh, Carter would have um, pulp heroes from the 30s make cameos. And uh, the, his favorite little device was to have Prince Sargon go to the Cobalt Club from the Shadow. And, all, and there were all these members there who were Oh, uh, Richard Wentworth, uh, Lamont Cranston. Uh, you get Bruce Wayne as Batman, or Bruce, you know, Batman as Bruce Wayne. And in one of them, the Volcano Ogre, you have Richard Henry Benson in the Cobalt Club. But what's interesting about Benson is his face is now back to being paralyzed. And this led to some speculation in fandom that the Avenger went, somehow went into a relapse and went back to the way he originally had been. The, uh, there's another Prince Zargon novel called The Earthshaker in which all the uh, heroines from the pulp uh, series are hanging out together. So Nellie Gray is hanging out with Margot Lane and Pat Savage. Now the, the best reference book on the Avenger is called The Gray Nemesis. It was written by the late great Howard Hopkins who unfortunately passed away a few years back. And that, if you want to read a reference book on the Avenger, this is the book. It originally popped up in, in a fanzine. The earliest version of it appeared in a fanzine that uh, Howard was uh, self-publishing called Golden Perils in 1985. Now, he revised it twice. 
think the last provision was 2004. And this became the basis for a new Avengers series done by Moonstone Books. So we have the Avenger Chronicles and the Justice Incorporated files for the first uh, two books. I'm showing the hardcover versions of those. And this is when I start to get involved. I used to write uh, articles in imitation of Philip Jose Farmer for pulp fandom in the 80s and, and 90s. And I was doing chronologies for various characters, Doc Savage, The Shadow, The Avenger, a lot of other people. And I had done one for, uh, it was Echoes, which was then published by Tom Johnson, called The Chronology for The Avenger, which ended up being reprinted in uh, Daring Adventures by Altus Press, which was a collection of my articles. And I read the Avenger Chronicle, which was edited then by Joe Gentili with Howard Hopkins. And I immediately noticed that as far as Howard was concerned, he wasn't worried about consistency. He was treating this like a Sherlock Holmes anthology, meaning you have to be consistent with Ernst. He really wasn't worried about Goulard and Tepperman. He thought they were inferior to Ernst. If you read The Great Nemesis, that's very clear. In fact, he would totally throw out the Tepperman stories. He treats the Tepperman stories the way Shadow fans treat the Bruce Elliott stories. And he didn't, he, he they, they had there the concept that the Avenger uh, suffers a relapse and has his facial muscles paralyzed again. But they would publish one story where they actually have that accident in November 1941. And then they had, had a sequel to, uh, the, by Ron Goulart called Return of the Iron Skull to Demon Island in which the Iron Skull comes back. And we see these robots that are supposed to be, that are posing as Benson's uh, wife and child, resolving that loose end, but the Iron Skull still gets away, so we still have a, a loose end. <laughs> and that, that story's taking place like 1945. So I looked at it and I said, there's no way you can make chronological sense about this. I'm not, I, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to leave my, let my original article stand and never again involve myself with the Avenger. I get an email out of the blue from Wynne Scott Eckert, who's one of the authors in these anthologies, saying, Joe Gentili wants a chronology of the Avenger. Would you like to do it? But by the way, now normally when I get chronologies, I'm a law unto myself, and I do whatever I want to do. Here are the restrictions Joe is placing on you. First of all, you can only have him, 
you have to have three periods, one where his face is frozen the first time, one where it's not frozen, one where it gets frozen again. You can't have him going through relapses back and forth. And the other one was all the Tepperman stories have to kind of take place together because Howard Hopkins hates them. And he, 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 he wants it so you can say that they're not legitimate and you can ignore them. He doesn't want them intermixed with everybody. So I said, okay, I'll do this. But you know, you've got this problem that you got Goulart from 1942 to 1945 has the Avenger without a frozen face. And suddenly you, you have this story which takes place in November 1941 where the accident happens which causes the relapse. So I had to come up with an explanation that it was a delayed reaction to this explosion. I, I'm not going to bore you with all the little gyrations I had to go in. I did cheat a little bit. His face does flip back and forth in a few entries in there. But uh, that's how I became the chronologist for the Avenger, officially licensed by Condé Nash. <laughs> But personally, I, I wanted to wash my hands of the whole thing, to be honest. But it's some, I, I, I had to override sometimes a lot of references and stories to when they took place to make them fit into three distinct periods. I hit the wrong button. Okay. But uh, the other thing that Moonstone did, they had a story that uh, Michael Usland uh, wrote, who's, if you don't know who uh, Michael Usland is, he's the producer of the Batman films. And as we shall see gradually in the comics, he has a long association with the Avenger, which is continuing to this day. And he did a, in the hardcover edition as a special feature, um, a story called The uh, Green Hornet Meets the Avenger. Now, I, I didn't mention this earlier, Moonstone Books in their hardcovers always has extra little goodies. So if you want my chronology, you have to get the hardcover of the third volume of The Avenger, The Avenger, The Roaring Heart of the Crucible. Get the paperback, you're not going to get the uh, chronology. And in uh, this story, uh, it, it's, it's a pretty decent story where the Green Horn, The Avenger is... It's a green, if you know the Green Hornet, he's supposed to be a crook when he's, when he's actually a crime fighter. And the Avenger is sort of brought into uh, Detroit to, capture, to track down the Green Hornet. And gradually he realizes the Green Hornet is a crime fighter like himself. Now we come to the most interesting little innovation concerning the Avenger. If you're a fan of new pulp fiction, you would be aware of the existence of a character named Sun Ko, who is actually a Nazi version of Doc Savage, created by, in Hitler's Germany, was very popular in the 30s, was not known to any of us except the fellow named Jess Nevins, wrote about the uh, Sunco series on a website called Pulp Heroes. 
and a fellow who I'm looking at right now named Art Seppo decided to write a collection of Sun Coast stories, not based on this, they're, they're totally new, they're not consistent with the original German, they use... Got it, close it up. Yeah, okay, I got it. Okay. So, Co became a novel by Art, uh, became a book by Art, and that, at this point every new pulp uh, writer has used Sunco as a villain in their writings. And uh, he's scheduled to fight the Avenger in a, in a Moonstone, in a novel by, published by Moonstone, written by Matthew Barr. Now I'm briefly just going to mention the radio and comic book versions of the Avenger. Uh, first, uh, there was a 1942 uh, series about the Avenger where he was Richard Henry Benson, which is largely an adaptation of the pulp novels. In 1945-46, there was a, a, a different Avenger series where he was a character named James uh, Brandon, who, who was essentially a ripoff of the uh, shadow and that he could make himself invisible, but he did it by swallowing capsules. In uh, DC Comics in 1975, did a short-lived Justice Incorporated uh, uh, series. Jack Kirby did uh, issues two through four, and uh, they were doing the shadow at the same time, and Michael Uslan wrote a story where he fought the shadow. And then uh, they did some, DC did some controversial concepts, uh, some controversial adaptations of the Avenger. Uh, one was called Justice Incorporated in 1989. It was a two-shot in which uh, the Avenger ends up, I think, killing Nellie Gray. And then we had the controversial First Wave series in which the Avenger became a killer, like he was an Emil Tepperman, more like the Marvel superhero, the Punisher. But the big news is uh, Michael Usland is doing a comic book called Justice Incorporated, in which the shadow of the Doc Savage and the Avenger would meet for the first time in the, the comics. And it's from it's going to be coming out this month, and it. From the summaries I've read, it seems to um, be a revised origin of the Avenger in which Doc Savage and the Shadow play a direct role in his creation. And that is the conclusion to the history of the Avenger. You've been listening to a Pulp Event podcast brought to you by the PulpNet when your next adventure was just a dime away. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps.